Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today, Paul George in studio. <laughs> that music. <laughs> Deacon Adam Conk and uh, Uncle Chad, who's complaining about his headphones over there. The diva. We're fine now. <laughs> They're just, working. I can't reach the button. Man, great to be with you guys today. Thanks for listening in on the podcast or on the radio, KLFT Radio. Uh, it's a great day. Um, sort of. You know, it's kind of weird for me, and I'm going to get your perspective from you guys because you're all different ages, so it's going to be kind of, you know, interesting, but we're recording today. It's Friday, um, September 11th, and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can't ever wake up on September 11th and, you know, not think of, you know, 9-11. I can remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, and, you know, it's sort of like when I would talk to my grandparents about... Pearl Harbor or where they were when JFK died. You know, it was just they it the stories, you know. Uh so 9/11, you know, I remember exactly where we were and I I couldn't we couldn't have a show today without mentioning and praying for all those affected through 9/11 and sort of as we commemorate and and remember today, you know, that. So do you guys remember 9/11 at all? Oh, totally. I was a Junior in high school. Okay. I was in Spanish class. All right. And um, we so got an announcement that something was going on in New York. Some people had died. More to follow. So, you know. But, I mean, the first day, um, in my mind, I thought we would be going to, like, a World War Three situation, mm-hmm. right? Like, someone attacks us. We attack them back. Right. I'll probably have to join the military. Like, those are really the only two days of my life where I actually, like, decided to do that like i'll sign up and i'll I'll go and that's interesting because you know you come from the perspective of you were in high school so mm. you know you're thinking am i going to get drafted do i need mm. to join and, you know it was a very interesting time and and you're thinking of it through the lenses of a teenager it, it must have been you know crazy you know yeah and i just remember going home and watching the news footage over and over and over and since then you know I, like for example when this COVID thing started um, when we hit that 3,000 deaths threshold, or I remember when Italy hit that, and I remember thinking, like, wow, it's like their 9 11, mm. you know, like 3,000 people about died. But I reflected on it's not, it's not their 9 11. It's not quite the same. Like, why is 9 11 so difficult? Certainly people died, but just the sheer violence of it and mm. violation of it as a nation, it's, we, we had so many wonderful people that we lost that day. But even more, it's we were violated that day, you know, in a in a very particular way. Yeah, it was an act of terrorism, war, and on our soil, which we haven't seen, you know, since a Pearl Harbor, you know, in a sense of, you know, on our land, and and that was, you know, horrific. How old were you, Chad? I was in first grade, so I'd have been six. Okay. And uh, I don't remember hearing about it at all during the day, but I remember getting to my babysitter's house after school. Hmm. and them talking about it and having it on the TV and not quite understanding it, and then getting home and seeing it again on, on TV and my parents' reactions to it. And so I knew it was, like, serious and heavy, but I didn't really get the full scope of it until later. Yeah, as a six-year-old. I wasn't ready to go to the military. Yeah. yeah <laughs> at at six. Know, but, you know, at six, you're like, everyone's worried. Right. You know, but I don't know why. I remember, well, I remember seeing the planes hit the towers, hit the towers and hit the Pentagon 
and seeing that on TV and be like, that's not good. Right. Mm. But not really. Yeah. I didn't get it in yeah. the same way. Yeah. So I was living in Atlanta and I was in my office uh, with a good friend of mine and my boss at the time, Randy Rouse. And, um, you know, he had dial up internet then. Um, and uh, my wife Gretchen called, you know, which, you know, she usually wouldn't in the morning. Hey, what do you, you know? Uh, so I picked up thinking, you know, something was going on at home. And she's like, did you see the news? And I was like, no. And we immediately turned it on the TV at our office and just sat in silence. Mm -hmm. And then we just all looked at each other and just said, you know, just go home. You know, and we all went home and just, you know, the TV never came off. Like we just sat there like literally morning all day, all night, all week. And then, you know, more reports would come in and it, it was just, I, I don't know, like it, it's still very heavy. Um, and, you know, I've met people who have had relatives who died in Twin Towers and, you know, you know, I think, you know, in, on this anniversary every, every year, they must be even more heavier, obviously, than, than what I deal with in just, you know, being an adult at the time, knowing it. So anyway, definitely want to pray for those folks and, you know, that, that um, you know, God will continue to use something like this for his good uh, during this time. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, crazy days. And to think, like, there's a generation of young people, you know, like my kids' age, uh, who who weren't alive? Like our oldest was one years old, right? Uh, and so, you know, I was talking to my son, who is eighteen now. He's like, man, like I was reading about nine eleven, and you know, he's talking about it like it it was in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, like because he didn't see it, and I was like, I kind I I actually kind of told him, I was like, Jacob, I I actually can't, I don't want to talk more about it. Like I saw it like, I don't want to, you know, like you could read more about it, but I don't, I don't need to, like, it's not history to me. It's like present moment, yeah. but it's interesting. There's a whole generation that didn't experience that, you know? And, and so they read about it in history books or, or whatever. And it, he's like, I can't even believe that actually happened. It's crazy. You know, yada, yada. So anyway, we do pray for those folks today. So anyway, all right, chat. Do you have a, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? So news has been pretty heavy lately from right. what I've noticed. Yes. Um, you know, all wildfires and the election and the pandemic and 9-11 now. But when's the last time you've thought about Willy Wonka? Uh, you know, I haven't thought about Willy Wonka in a long time, actually. <laughs> you watched the movie, right? The, yes. There's been a few of them, Yes, there's a couple of versions of Willy Wonka. Um, there's a newer version and there's an older version. Willy Wonka and the Cho Chocolate Factory, right? Right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Jelly Belly, <laughs> Jelly Bean Company, they are hiding golden tickets around the United States right now. Are they really? Yes, yes. And you can go on their website and they have, and you can, only a thousand people are allowed to look for it. You have to sign up, register, and each state is going to have their own golden ticket that you have to look for. And you can win... Let me let me make sure. Well, the winners will receive at least five thousand um, dollars. Yeah, each one's allowed. Each treasure hunt has a strict limit of a thousand participants, and they're releasing the dates now. So, if you get a golden ticket, um, like what do you win? You can oh, you can win five thousand dollars, and one of the golden tickets, you're gonna win a whole Jelly Belly Jelly Bean factory. <laughs> For real? For real? Just like Willy Wonka. Wow. I mean, I guess like that was a movie, but you know what I mean? 
I've always How actually exciting. like I watched that movie with my kids, and uh, you know, I actually sat through it, and uh, that was great. Yeah, well, I was a kid when it came out, so I guess I loved it. And I was an adult, and uh, <laughs> so, and I sat through it. But uh, I, I did think, like, what a great idea, honestly. Like, what a great idea. So I always thought, why don't somebody just do that? Yeah, well, they're doing it. Well, I could, I could totally see the board meeting right now. It's been a really rough year for the country. <laughs> what can we do to really just pick up the spirits of everybody? I know. Well, <laughs> Golden I mean, tickets. I think it's exciting. Maybe it's just mm. as a kid when the when I watched Willy Wonka. And... No, it's very exciting. I just wonder though, if you win a factory, is it kind of like someone who you know, an aunt who gives you a dog for your birthday? Like, is it a good idea? But then as you get into it. <laughs> Having to clean it, having yeah. to feed it, having to bring it to the vet. Is there a point where you're like, man, I just don't know if we should run this factory <laughs> anymore. Or maybe they just sell the factory. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah. You're pretty much set if you own a jelly bean factory. Yes. And I mean, you're set for life. I don't know who eats jelly beans, by the way, but they do produce a lot of them. Now, if know. it was an actual chocolate factory, you could make a lot of money. I mean, people eat chocolate like it's going out of style, you know, so... But jelly beans are at least in like every Halloween. Yeah, you're right. Basket. But I don't. Who eats jelly beans? I don't know. I Certain times a year, I throw them down. But yeah. other than that, the no. only Christmas. jelly beans I will eat are the Starburst yes. jelly beans. That's what I was thinking about too. Those They're good. good. So anyway, I mean, this is this is great. You know, it's interesting. Just trying to lift when, spirits here. When so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would love a golden ticket to anything. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's something about a golden ticket. Maybe imagine two tickets man, to paradise. My, um, I would just imagine what would happen to your spirits if you found a golden <laughs> ticket. Like, I'm a jelly bean. You could have had the worst. I mean, this is a terrible year, but you could have the worst year, and you find a you find a golden ticket. Speak for yourself, Chad. Twenty twenty has been great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is what you make it. Um, You're right. Well, in a, a info to all you Catholic parents out there, the book, the Roll Doll book. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is what it's called, is great to read to your kids, actually. It's a great book for them. Mm. Um, Charlie is one of the most, like, virtuous characters for children that exists. I mean, when you read through it, I mean, this kid is just a bastion of virtue, so much so that when you're done reading through it with your kids, you can just say after that point, you need to be more like Charlie. (laughs) You need to be more like that guy. I mean, so selfless, so honest. So not caring about the world's glitters and pleasures and like family oriented, every virtue you could think of, Charlie's got it. Now in the original Willy Wonka, that doesn't really come through. It kind of does. But in the second movie with the creepy Johnny Depp character, that more comes through. But in the book, it's so there. Like he's just Mr. Virtue. You know, well, you know, only you would point that out (laughs) because, you know, now that you say it, it makes all the sense in the world that, you know, he, you know, this this kid was honest, you know, he was generous. He invited his grandfather, you know, to go with him. And, you know, he, he found a ticket and was honest, didn't hide it. Like just things like that. And I never thought about the virtue of him uh, <laughs> until now, but, uh, but it is pretty cool. You know, it's interesting. Like when you pray about like, okay, each show and like, what's going to happen. Like I didn't have this planned. You did. I, you, when, when Chad comes up with a, have you seen, we don't know what it is. So he just kind of throws it out. Um, so it's interesting that this Sunday uh, is the feast of St. John Chrysostom. Okay. One of the great saints of the church. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you guys know um, 
his nickname or what his name means. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, Golden Mouth. Golden ah. Mouth. Yeah. It's not his last name. It's his nickname, John Chrysostom. Um, John Golden Mouth. Yeah. Because yeah. of his preaching. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've got some good preachers today, but, you know, to get the tagline Golden Mouth <laughs> from people, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty impressive. And he was a slamming preacher. Yeah, so I, I just thought it really interesting. I mean, we, we celebrate the saint on Sunday whose name literally through the through the centuries is Golden Mouth, St. John Christendom, which is, you know, what it means is Golden Mouth, like you said, like his, his you know, we think of it as his last name, but it's his, you know, his given nickname. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, what would you rather, like a golden ticket, or like, <laughs> like in, like in reality, like a golden virtue, or mm. a, like a golden gift to serve the Lord and people and the church, you know? And I, you know, like oftentimes we want that golden ticket, or we want to win the lottery ticket. You know, we, you know, it's going to make us. It'll make twenty twenty better. Right, like <laughs> for a moment it will. Right, right, like it really will. Like, oh man, I just won a factory of candy, but, but ultimately, like, that idea kind of runs its course, right? Yeah, and I think Saint John Chrysostom is a great example of something we could all model. Is I think it's really healthy to have a, a humble awareness of the greatest gift God has given you, like the your charism that He wants to bless the world through, and your strongest weakness. And if you're working on to develop both at the same time, so if I'm always focused on developing that gift that God gave me that is most um, characteristic of me, you know, and strengthening that weakness that is most my fault, that seems to be the formula for just fast growth in the spiritual life, but also fruitful ministry, like in his case. I mean, he just preached, you know, so he did that. And yeah. How often do we feel like, man, what I'm really good at, I don't really get to do all the time. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. It says St. John Chrysostom, you know, he he dealt with ailments, but he was a bishop, and he was a bishop during, like, tough political times. So if there's bishop or leadership out there, you know, pray for his intercession, you know, because, you know, it's just weird weird times, but it's always weird times, I I think. And uh, it says the content of his sermons uh, were never without a point. Sometimes... Um, the point he used stung the high and the mighty. Like he was, so he wasn't afraid to like speak the truth and go out of it. And some of his sermons lasted up to two hours. So think, think about like that. Like, like you know, I'm in church sometimes thinking, all right, give me that good ten minute homily. Well, boss. Remember, they don't have movies then, right? It's so, like this is their this is theater. their entertainment, <laughs> right? That's <laughs> this, true. This is their chance to actually hear something, right? Something intelligent, yeah. Something good, something entertaining. Um, you know, but two hour homily, that's not the mass. That's just the homily. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Imagine. I mean, remember that story in Acts where St. Paul literally puts someone to sleep with his homily and they fall off the second story and die. And then he raises them from the dead. Remember that story? <laughs> so, I mean, long homilies were the Pretty thing normal, back yeah. then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, but yeah, and you mentioned uh, his leadership, especially in tumultuous time. I mean, he was the bishop of Constantinople, which is like the main seat of the East. So, I mean, he's like the Pope of the East, basically. And uh, how inspiring to have the leader of that area of the world preach like that against the high and mighty or towards the high and mighty. Um, and I think in our own country, we just 
gotten used to not expecting much from preaching from those who are in like profound leadership. So for Mm. example, we get the need to be politically correct. We get the, the need to not offend, to not get sued. Like we get all those things. So in the end, we just kind of expect okayness. Right. Right. But in the beginning, those that were put in these positions, they ended up dying a lot of them because they didn't preach what was just okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so how, how many of you guys know anybody who's won a lottery ticket or remember them? But they go down in history. None of them. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the golden tongue, like he was, you know, he died in 407. Okay, that's a long time ago. We're still talking about him. Like his, his virtuous lifestyle, his, you know, golden gift from the Lord to, to serve and to do the right thing uh, is still being talked about. It's what made him a saint. This guy died in exile. Like in 407, uh, because they kicked him out because he wouldn't bow to the political structures. He wouldn't, uh, you know, climb the political ladder as a bishop. Like he kept preaching the truth. He didn't waver from it. And then eventually they exiled him and he died in exile. It it brings on an interesting perspective. You said about the lottery ticket. It made me think about, uh, like, what does a lottery ticket actually provide you? It's, I think that we often think about, can we get all the things we want rather than like, can we do all the things we ought to do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's sort of a difference between maybe how the world or, or people look at what freedom is and how or what uh, the virtue of like being free and virtue is. You know what I mean? Right. And so like, even though he's in exile, he's still free to do the things he ought to do because he's still virtuous. And maybe our, maybe our life shouldn't be lived to see like how many things we can do or how many things we can we want to do. But like, can we become the most free people to do the things we ought to do? Yeah, I mean, if you think your 2020 is bad, think about living in exile, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, think about like the bondage of exile. But you're right, Chad, like when you live in freedom and in virtue and in Christ in a relationship with God, there is no bondage. Whether you're living in exile or a horrible 2020 like you we've experienced, you can still be free in the midst of that because mm-hmm. you're free to live uh, in in the grace of God, in relationship with God, in virtue, and it's those things that 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 pull us through, you know, these difficult times. Yeah, and the opposite's true too. You can be a slave to sin and have everything going for you and just be miserable. Totally. Yeah. I mean some I think I feel like some of the temptations that that we're avoiding right now are only because like we don't have the money to do them. You know what I mean? Mm. And like, yeah, I don't know, getting all the money in the world and being able to do whatever you want. Just like, I mean, it opens up so many terrible opportunities (laughs) for you to do the things you don't, you shouldn't be doing anyway. Well, there's different virtues that we're all called to, you know, so if you're listening to this, you know, you know, if you have a ton of money, like you're super wealthy, like God has blessed you, there's different types of virtues that you need to pray for and have to steward that money well, that it doesn't control you, that it doesn't become a vice. The same as, you know, if you're poor, that you have to have certain virtues that doesn't make you steal and envy and, and you know, like, they, like we all need these different virtues based on where we're at in our life, what season we're in, what, what we're dealing with, what we're struggling with, what are our challenges, right? And, like, I'm constantly going to the Lord and be like, you know, there are certain virtues I know I need to get through this season, this time, this mm-hmm. financial crisis, you know, this discernment time, yada, yada. And I think that's the beauty of the grace of God is that he doesn't deny us. 
if we're willing to lean into those virtues and grow in them. Like he's not going to deny us a virtue, right? Right. I'm not certainly not condemning the rich, but that maybe wealth isn't the path to freedom. No, it, it isn't the path. Or it, isn't a path for us to freedom. No, 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 no. And and no object is. Mm-hmm. God is the path to freedom. So, you know, not that any of those objects are bad. They can be. But if our object of affection isn't God, isn't relationship with God, then, of course, we're all off path, right? Our, the object of our affection should be to love God with everything we have. That should drive us no matter what. And I've met some really saintful people who had way more money than I could ever mm-hmm. imagine. And I've met some really saintful people who had nothing. And that's the beauty of their, uh, their, their object of their affection being God himself and God alone. And that's what drives mm-hmm. them in their life. That's what I want to be about. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today on the podcast or on the radio show. Um, you can always go back and listen uh, over to other shows or uh, to this show. You can share it and be a part of it. Uh, i got Uncle Chad, Deacon Adam Conk. All right, so if somebody can nickname you and Golden was like the first part of it, <laughs> Golden what? <laughs> golden pun. You totally would be a golden pun. Mm-hmm. Golden pun. Hmm. I cannot. I wish I could. I don't think. I can't think of something. You'd be a, a, a golden Cajun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the golden duck whisperer. Sure. Oh, the duck whisperer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That works. Golden beard. <laughs> okay. Another one I'll take. Not a bad one. Yeah. Okay. What, about you, what about you, Paul? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, Fair enough. Golden height. Golden height. I'm I'm tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a boxer uh, named the Golden Boy, but he was a boxer, and I could see myself boxing. I don't know that. Anyway, <laughs> I could see myself boxing. <laughs> golden tongue or golden preacher would be crazy. I you know. St. Paul would have been the golden preacher for mm-hmm. sure. You know, like John Paul II would have been the golden philosopher. I think Pope Benedict, I would say St. Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict would be the golden theologian. Golden mind. The golden mind. The golden mm. pin. Gold mind? A gold mind. <laughs> he has been a gold mind. For the you know, church. what would be weird uh, is if uh, Pope Francis retired, we'd have two retired popes at the same time. That would be weird. Scandalous. And a reigning yeah. one. So yeah. like three popes. Yeah, yeah, that would then then you could do another movie. Instead of <laughs> the two popes, you could do three popes. Sequel. 
The sequel. <laughs> is there what's what comes after sequel? There's like the first one, then there's the sequel, and then there's the something after that. The, the trequel. Sequel to the sequel. I, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this is this is going great. No, but it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, honestly, because I'm intrigued, sort of, with this idea of, you know, really, um, you know, this this conversation around virtue is like I think oftentimes we don't really pray for virtue. Yeah. Well, you, and I think St. John Chrysostom is a great reminder to something we may forget in the church because, so virtue, I mean, really was a a Greek focus <clears throat> that became a Christian focus as a way to explain. Um, moral progress in the church. And it's a great way to explain it. Like we all have certain qualities about us that are good or bad, right? Like virtue or vice. And, uh, you know, the Lord in his grace, as we encounter him and grow with him, we're going to grow in virtue. And it's a great way to explain it. But one important element of growing in virtue that I think we forget today, just because of how dull our preaching has gotten the church, is that virtue is grown in us through preaching. It's not the only way, but when you hear great preaching, it awakens virtue within you. It awakens everything that is good and noble in you. And how many saints have given all to Jesus just because of a homily? There's lots of them. And the reverse is also true. If we never hear good preaching, that's we're missing something in our life of virtue. We're missing an element in our Christian walk that is necessary to become holy. You know, so how how desperate the drought of good preaching can be. Right. Mm. For the saints. Pope Benedict talked about this. And when he visited America, he said, could it be that our preaching has lost its salt? You know, because like, like Jesus says, if, if you lose your salt, what can you flavor things with? Preaching is the salt of the church. Like it's, it flavors the church. Um, St. John Chrysostom, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, all the early church fathers, they did what they did mainly through preaching. They changed hearts through preaching. Mm. But, but behind the preaching was you know, the gifts that God had given them to overcome the fear, the mm-hmm. the doubt, the worry, to say what God wanted them to say. I think they would all say the preaching was the easy part. It was all the other things, right? And virtue is not just self-discipline, right? Christian virtue without grace is unachievable, right? So like when we, you know, extract God from the equation of virtue— then it just it's just self-discipline. Well, we all know that if if it's just self-discipline, that will eventually fail. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't uh, need Jesus for that. You don't need Jesus. There for were that. Greeks striving for self-discipline before Jesus. Yeah, right. no, and I mean, and there were people in the Old Testament. You know, and I mean, w- you, you know what I'm saying? Like, with without the grace of God, without, um you know, the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit, you know, virtue is is hollow. Because, you know, like, then we become like King David. You know, we have these great gifts, and then we're adulterer. You know, like, we fall. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, the his, his virtue fell. Not And we're, look, we're all sinners. Uh, but what I'm saying is, you know, oftentimes when we talk about virtue, we, we extract the conversation that, you know, I'm, I can only be virtuous by the grace of God, by, by his grace giving me the ability to grow, right? And I think oftentimes when we pray, we're like, Lord, just do this. Like, just make this happen in my life. Just answer this prayer. Just accomplish this. And what we often don't do is pray about the things and the ways that we need to grow in the process. 
where we're lacking or we're weak, you know. And it's interesting because the, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. Like when you hear those, you're like, yeah, I want those, right? Mm -hmm. But those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those aren't like self-virtuous things that you can just do on your own. I mean, you could try to, you can be wise, but to have the wisdom of God, to have the understanding, the counsel, the fortitude, those types of things are gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us that we can grow in through grace that God gives us for free, right? For free. For free. It only costs your life. Grace, <laughs> grace is free. And remember who the Christian is. The Christian is not um, the person who's the self-made man or self-made woman. That might be an American ideal, but that's not the Christian ideal. We all are a certain way when we're captivated by something beautiful, like something that is really engrossing to us. We become a certain way. And when God captures our heart, we become a certain way. It's not because we made ourselves that way. It's because we've been captured by something more beautiful and more amazing than ourselves or anything else in this world. That is our true self. Our true self is the one who's captivated by the beauty of God and responds a certain way to it. You know, So St. John Chrysostom and all the saints become saints, become who they really are, because what else can they do captured by such a beautiful love, right? Like, what mm. else can you do other than preach the gospel in season and out of season because you're captured by this? It's not because... He did not go to a seminary, for example. He got some priestly formation, but it's not like our seminaries produce priests. They don't. God mm. produces priests. Mm. God produces... Our, our marriage prep, don't, we don't produce happily married couples. God gives us happily married couples when they're in love with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We become who we're supposed to be when we're captured by this beauty. When we're captured by our own beauty and, and become self-made people, we're nothing. <laughs> like, we're just dust. Well, and that's the, you know, the, the, the reality of the sacrament and sacraments. You know, they become tangible. But grace also moves through our nature, and grace moves through our openness, through our choices to allow grace to actually move. So I, I can stop grace from moving in my life by saying no to God and yes to sin. And, and grace is like it just hits a wall in my life over and over. It just bounces off, right? And I tell people who are getting married, it's like, okay, something changes when you get married in the church. There's a sacrament. But but you have to lean into that sacrament. Like you have to open up the gift of the sacrament. You have to allow the sacrament to begin to work and the grace to move. And sometimes that's going to be really difficult, but it's there. You have free access to God and his grace in your sacrament. But you see a lot of marriages or other vocations or whatever, where it's just that the sacrament gets, gets, um, you know, unused, untapped into, you know, or hidden or um, thrown away, whatever. Yeah, it seems, so just to maybe clarify things, it seems like the distinguishing factor between self-discipline and virtue is that self-discipline serves the self and virtue serves out of love. Mm. It's like a response to love. Whereas, yeah, self-discipline looks at yourself and says, I can make myself better. And I can, right, which is, I mean, it sounds good. It sounds nice, but ultimately it's selfish. 
the end of the day, and it, it's prideful because it says, I, I am the fixer of myself and I'm the healer of myself. And also I'm too bad or too good to be fixed by God or by anybody else, you know? Yeah. And there could be good in self-discipline. You know, that there's, there's good in disciplining ourselves to do good things and to do it right. But where virtue comes in is like you begin to do this to serve others, to serve God, that the virtue is about, you know, allowing you to, uh, you know, yeah, serve out of love to, to become self-disciplined or not disciplined for the sake of love, you know, and service to other people. You know, I become, I'm trying to become better in virtue so I can love my wife better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same time, like love myself better, you know, so self become a better father. Like there's things I need to grow in virtue. It's interesting. You know, we talk about virtue, um, but you know, the fruits of the Holy spirit, you know, so there's gifts and the fruits of the Holy spirit. I mean, who wouldn't want one of these to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those all sound like virtues, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, but these are what they call fruits of the Holy spirit in scripture, which is the, those are the, the things that grow in us when we, are in relationship with Jesus and his grace is flowing. And we ask and give the Holy spirit that we receive at baptism and confirmation to manifest, to move and work in our life through that grace. We begin to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I don't read one of those and think, man, I don't need to grow in any of those. Like <laughs> every one of them. I want and need to grow in my life. And when I ask God for the grace to grow in those areas, God doesn't sit back and say, no, I don't want you to. <laughs> no, you don't need to. No, I'm not going to give you the grace to do it. You know? And I'm thinking about, you know, as we've mentioned 2020, like there's been some like really horrible moments for me in 2020. Like some really down times, some really, you know, like dark times of like no work and like, you know, like stuck at home and, you know, and just praying for the grace to make it through that time and that day. And like, I can't imagine not having that relationship with the Lord to be able to have that conversation to pull me through, you know, just some of the, some of the times to pull me through 2020, you know, whatever, you know, we're all going to have those times. Of course. Uh, we, yeah. One of the things I realized early on in my conversion I was, you know, sitting and praying and had these big sins that were on my heart and I was struggling with. And I'm like, gosh, Lord, if you could just take these things away, take these things away. And then, you know, eventually like it was, you know, it was gone and it was, a, I mean, a real gift and a real miracle in some ways. Um, but then I, I would go back to prayer. I'm like, what do I pray about now? You know, like, <laughs> like if I don't what? have these big things that I'm struggling with and I can't get over, like, what do I pray about? And then he was like, hey, you could, uh, pray to like know me more right? <laughs> or, you know, whatever. And this is, yeah, as if, you know, like God longs for us to be close to him way more than we do. Right. And is always like there. Yeah. And it seems like it's a certain temptation today. And I don't want to make growing in virtue sound like a bad thing. It's a great thing. And mm-hmm. the sacrifices we make to grow in virtue are part of our embrace of the cross. Like our own sins, our own imperfections are our responsibility. It's not like it's, someone else's responsibility to take care of them. I need to be working on myself. I need to be making myself better. 
Um, but in the end, this is like giving Jesus that cup of water in John chapter 4, the, the Samaritan woman. He asked her for a little cup, but he'd give her living water that never ends, right? Mm-hmm. Our little cup is our attempts to become more honest, more um, faithful, more uh, chaste. Like These attempts are our little death to selves that attract God's grace and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that will actually get it done. You know, it's like we, we make our investment of ourselves, our, our death to self, so that God can give us that new life of the resurrection. So I don't mean to downplay that process. It's a very important process. But it seems like there's a certain temptation today to say that is the spiritual life. Like that's what it means to be a good Christian is I'm always working on myself and focused on myself, especially among young people. It's like I don't know what it is, but the sense of I need to become a better me, and that's what I'm going to spend my time doing. Like, I'm invest in me all the time, mm. and uh, even spiritually speaking. And um, this is not good. I think it would be difficult for that kind of person to really love anyone well, <laughs> like spouse, <laughs> friend, or God, because love is to make a gift of the other for the other, not to make a gift to the other so that I can be better, you know? Yeah, and that's what I was mentioning earlier. And, you know, the, I have seen a lot this attempt to you know this move of virtue which is good uh but in a sense of like virtue is like the the apex of the christian life well virtue without relationship you know it is nothing right without relationship with god and you know if if we like you and your early conversion just focused on being in relationship with jesus we will grow in virtue. It, it's mm. it's the nature of being in relationship. So if you're in relationship with your wife and or your spouse, and and you work on your marriage and and you communicate, you automatically grow in love. Like you don't have to like stress about growing in love. It just happens naturally because you're in relationship. And this is what happens with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Growing in those fruits. And in those virtues is as you're in relationship with the Lord and you're just saying, Lord, how can we, I grow in relationship with you? Then, then those fruits grow. Those virtues grow. You don't have to like hyper-focus and be so stressed about growing in the virtue. God does the work. We just show up. And we, where do we show up? Just it with open hands in relationship with him. Yeah, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are kind of like the culture of the kingdom of God. So like you know, if I went to Italy, for example, people would talk a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, order food a certain way, you know, and if I stay there for long enough, I'm going to start to actually do those things, right? Like I'm going to order spaghetti a certain way, holding <laughs> up my hands or whatever they do, right? <laughs> so if I stay in a culture long enough, I take on the characteristics of that culture. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit, it's, I mean, the Holy Spirit is the culture of God. The Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. That is God's culture. And those who live in the kingdom take on those characteristics. And the way they look in this world are things like love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, etc. And unfortunately, a lot of us uh, don't immerse ourselves in God enough to take on these cult- this culture. Right? It's like we maybe read about Italy. Maybe we eat some Italian food at a chain restaurant that's not real. I don't know. <laughs> but like we kind of dabble in spirituality. We dabble in things of God. Um, but to only really, the only really way to get these fruits is to actually live in that kingdom in an immersive way. And then we begin to act like God. We begin to take on his characteristics. Yeah, we become a part of it. I, I like the analogy. So if you ever go to Italy, uh, 
you know, don't order a meatball because they don't have meatballs there. Like that's not a real Italian thing. And one of my friends, you know, told me like, try to order a meatball. So I was like, okay. So every, every restaurant we went to when we were there for two weeks, I'd be like, I want, I want a meatball. Uh, and they're like, we don't have a meatball. And I'm like, what? Stupid Dometic. Why don't you have a meatball? And they're like, we don't do meatballs. And everywhere, everywhere we went, you know? And I think there was one place that made me a meatball, but it, it's not a real Italian thing. And so you kind you know, you kind of <laughs> learn about the culture. And then, Boy. you know, by the end of two weeks, I was, I was ordering like an Italian. I yep. was like, you know, knowing sort of the, the culture, the language. Because well, you the eat vi- a lot yeah. when you're there. Well, then like, the vice versa is also true. Like somebody from Italy who comes over here, let's say, when they go to order something, they're going to order like an Italian, right? And we can spot them just by the way they do it. And it's like that with Christianity. When we live in the world, this is not the kingdom of God. And when we belong to the kingdom of God, people will see these fruits in us and be able to recognize that we belong to the kingdom. They see the joy we have, the peace we have, the patience we have, and they can say, oh, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but it's funny, you know, some I've been asked, like, hey, are you a pastor? Or hey, are you a whatever? And we didn't talk about Jesus at all. It's just people recognize when you grow up in the church and when you don't. Like when you're part of that kingdom and when you're not. Um, it has this defining characteristic. Yeah. Now, can you imagine a, an Italian coming to the America? Never been. They come to America, they go to an Italian restaurant, and they order. <laughs> what is this? What is this? <laughs> Who put meat in my sauce? <laughs> and they just go crazy. They're like, sir, we put meat in our sauce here in America. <laughs> okay, I've never been to... Is there no protein in the spaghetti in Italy? Well, spaghetti ragu... Well, spaghetti is like the noodles, It's the right? noodle, right. Yeah. So ragu would be the sauce that has meat in it, but mm. like... Not the way we do it. We make like in Cajun land, we make basically a chili and put needle, noodles in the chili and right. call it spaghetti. Well, right. I mean, it, it's ragu sauce with ground mm-hmm. meat, but in Italy, it's it's much more like the sauce over the noodles and like the protein is separate, gotcha. right? You know, type thing, and the salad is separate. And so yeah, it, like spaghetti with spaghetti with spaghetti sauce or ragu whatever sauce. Yeah, the tomato sauce with like chicken on the side. Yeah, you can get like. I'm sorry to take us off track, but this yeah. is a new. Uh, <laughs> I had never been to Italy. Yeah, you know because I mean? you're fr- you are from Cajun land. It's like I am. you know spaghetti. I is brought just my like, meat and I throw my sauce in there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's good. That's a fruit of the spirit of Cajuns. It's yeah. beautiful. It's a, it's wonderful, a wonderful thing. thing. Makes me really but happy. They will slap you across the face if you go there and, and order that. It's just like you can't do that here. You know, like. Uh, but yeah. it's beautiful, like the culture and learning. But oh, yeah, like, yeah, it's great yeah, food. Um, sure. At first, you're like, it doesn't taste, and then like the taste grows, and you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> the so, same is true with the Christians. It's it's hard to recognize Christian beauty when you're not living in the kingdom sometimes. Or like recognize how the mass is a good example. It's like hard to recognize how beautiful the mass is until you're living in the kingdom. Yep. Right. Well, I've got a great example of this, actually. So I won't use the real names to protect the innocent, but basically <laughs> So Willie and Wonka. <laughs> we had some we had some friends that were from Texas, okay? But they lived here in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And their parents were coming visit. And I said, oh, well, I'll cook them a great crawfish etouffee. So I did, right? Well, the parents were just kind of like grossed out by it. Mm-hmm. So they ate chicken nuggets and french fries instead. <sighs> so it's it's this kind of thing with, with the That's kingdom insulting. of... That's insulting. Well, it's just... It is insulting. It's, it's, it's like this with the kingdom of God. And we, we do this all the time where we just look at 
something, the lives of the saints, for example, and we see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in their life or whatever, and it's just, it's not always attractive to us because of something wrong with us. Mm -hmm. Like there's a repulsion to God that we have in us from sin that is a true thing. This is mostly true, I think, for serious Christians in this vice of sloth or sloth. Sloth is a hatred for the difficulty of good things. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I hate the difficult aspects of the kingdom. You know, it's like we look at we look at the crawfish etouffee, which we all know is delicious. But I think about how it used to crawl in the mud and and all these things, and I'm like, well, I'll just eat chicken nuggets. And we do this with the Lord all the time, whether it's our prayer life. You know, devoting 30 minutes to prayer a day, not that hard, but for some reason we can't end up doing it. You know, mm-hmm. that's so true. And you know, I. I call it. We opt for the counterfeit instead of the the real, the good, the beautiful, and and like the like the, you know, like just that that meal that's just so good. We'll opt for the counterfeit, the chicken nuggets and French fries, <laughs> instead of like the feast, right? Because we're so used to it, and it, and our palates are used to it, and it's you know whatever. Instead of this feast or something new, and and we do get stuck in that sloth. You know, and those, and that, and that's the opposite of virtue is this, this bad habit, these bad habits and rhythms in our life, you know, um, that we get stuck into, you know, and yeah, I think it it is good to pop out of your culture and go somewhere else and to be child, like go to Italy and see it, like just, it, it almost like it's, it's like alive in your faith in a sense of because you're experiencing a different beauty of life. Mm-hmm. By saying, whoa, okay, like, this is great, you know? And really, I think two icons of us at our best in all these regards is the pilgrim and the missionary. Because the pilgrim and the missionary, what you're doing is you're going to a totally different place um, with a goal in mind. The pilgrim is going to encounter God, which is a great goal, and the missionary is going to give God, which is also a great goal, right? Two great mm-hmm. goals. And the pilgrim and the missionary don't find virtue very hard on their journey. Mm-hmm. They don't find it hard to be generous. They don't find it hard to be honest. They don't find it hard to pray, right? Like they don't find it hard to be Christians because the nature of what they're doing is oriented toward the kingdom so much and it captivates their whole life for that time, for that week, for that month, whatever. Um, I think the challenge for us is when we're not seeing ourselves as missionaries or pilgrims, it's hard to be virtuous. It's hard to do what we're supposed to do. It's hard to be a Christian when we don't see ourselves in that light. Amen. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Right here in studio, Deacon Adam Conk. Did I say Deacon? Deacon Adam Conk. Deacon, Deacon, Deacon. Deacon Adam, how we doing? <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I was working on my Italian accent earlier. It was really good. Is that how they say it in English? If, if you've heard uh, music in the background, we, we do record in a studio, and there's like other radio stations down the hall, which is cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually Not religious really or neat. Catholic stations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times they'll open up their door, and you'll, he- you'll hear some jam going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes on breaks, we're jamming out. <laughs> um all right so anyway yeah we've been talking a lot uh today so thanks for listening in today you can uh get the show on the podcast if you are listening there are other shows you can share it and uh thanks to kel ft for um hosting this on the radio here in lafayette louisiana lots of great things happening thanks to our sponsors um including uh hospice of acadiana generous sponsor and uh everyone else so anyway uh how about a six-pack of questions? Question. Question number one. <clears throat> so we talked about your Italy trip just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear about why you were there and what the most embarrassing story is. I could do 100 shows <laughs> just on that trip, mm-hmm. and I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. It was two weeks of heaven and hell combined. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> yes. I was at, well, that trip, I was a 25-year-old youth minister, and I took a 100 kids to World Youth Day in Italy, Oof. and I was in charge. Oof. What awful. parent would ever send their kid overseas? It was simpler times back then. It was very simple. Take my kid. Take them. And, um, you know, I was fairly responsible, but I'd never been out of the, you know, to Europe, to that part of the country, didn't know the language. I had great volunteers and older adults that were with me. And, you know, so like everybody made it back barely alive. Some people, <laughs> I almost, I almost sent some kids home. I mm. uh, almost lost a kid in the airport. I mean, it was just, I mean, <laughs> the, we lost an average of 20 pounds. Per, oh, I thought you were about to say 20 kids. Because uh, we walked so much. We slept on An floors. It was a World pounds. Youth Day. It was chaos. And if you've ever been to a World Youth Day, uh, particularly not in America. Now, in America, too, it was bad. In 93, it was there. It is just it is just like chaos. So It's, it's not like very, Woodstock for Jesus. But, mm. but probably less organized. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's what I've always heard about it. Yeah. I took 50 kids to New Orleans last year, and that was terrifying. So I couldn't imagine <laughs> Rome or Italy. Yeah. So you know, one of the things we were on this trolley, and we had so many kids that, and you know, the city's already packed. You know, so Rome's already big. We were in Rome at the time. We went to Turin and Milan, and then we were in Rome, and it's already packed. And then, then you have all these pilgrims. So you're talking about pilgrims who are coming to journey to to get to know God better, right? All over the world. And so Rome's even more packed. So we hop on these trolleys. So we had to get on two trolley cars to fit our whole group. So, you know, one trolley car takes off and I'm like, I hope they know where they're going, you know? And then I'm on one trolley car with the other half of the group. And these things are sort of like New Orleans. They're like street cars, you know, they just go through, but it's a lot older, obviously in Italy. And I don't know where we're going. We just tell the guy, we feel like we're on the right, you know, sort of, track to make back to where we're staying and it's it's daunting all of a sudden the trolley car just stops middle of the street in the middle of nowhere in the middle of rome i'm talking probably like miles away from where we're staying the the driver of the trolley car 
gets out, <laughs> walks across the street, goes into a cafe, gets a coffee, <laughs> sits on the front porch of the cafe, lights a cigarette, and drinks his coffee while this trolley car <laughs> is packed with people and just just sits there like on his smoke and coffee break. Oh and like God. for us as Americans, we're going nuts. Like I'm <laughs> like, you can't do that. Like what? Like we're just going ballistic. And like any Italians on the train, they're just like, yeah, this is just how it goes, right? And he's just smoking, drinking his uh, espresso. And like 30 minutes later, hops back on the trolley, takes off, no worries. And that at that point, I was like, I am going to kill someone. <laughs> Proud to be an American. American. Well, that's the fruit of patience right there. And that actually was huge for me. Like it was like this, it was like experience in another culture to where it challenges you that your culture or the way you do things might not be the best. And that was one of the things is like, we live way too fast in America. Antonio needs his coffee. We <laughs> are way too serious. Oh, yeah, we're very efficient. Like prize efficiency over most things. You know we what I mean? do not relax and just go in a cafe and like forget about work for 30 minutes and just talk. Like he's just talking to everybody and, and you're just like, man, I love this cafe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that enough. You know, I'm thinking about the next thing on my list and like mm. knocking it out and feeling productive uh, and efficient and... You know, like, when do, where's there room for my life to be just organic and to grow and just relate? Like, just like, God, what do you want to do in my day to day? Like, really? No, I know what I want to do in my day to day. You just bless it. Like, that's kind of mm -hmm. how we do mm -hmm. it here. Whereas in Italy, they're like, Lord, today's your day. <laughs> <laughs> you you lead me. Tell me what you want me to do. You know. <laughs> And it, but it all comes together. Like they're not like, they're not like dying from like patience. It was huge learning, huge. So, I would love to adopt the siesta, or the midday nap. Mm. Dude, everybody would disappear midday. That'd be wonderful. And be healthy. Yeah, I just want to apologize to any Italians listening to the show that <laughs> for our terrible yeah. accent. Drinking wine at lunch, and then they go sleep, and yeah. then they wake send, up and go back to work. Please send all the letters to Paul's house, not to the radio station. <laughs> if I went home, <laughs> drank wine at lunch, took a nap, I just wouldn't go back to work. Yeah, probably, probably you know? not. I'm going to stay home for the rest of the day. <laughs> Let's cook a linguine. And with me balls. <laughs> all right, question two. One of the things Adam mentioned right at the beginning of the episode was reading Willy Wonka to his kids. And I, didn't, I wondered if you guys had any recommendations for, especially like longer books like that, um, that are really good. I, I've heard of like the Chronicles of Narnia being really good to read to your kids, um, but particularly longer books that would take a few days to get through. Yeah, highly recommend the Chronicles of Narnia because they, they are a little longer, but they're not too long mm -hmm. and they, they keep the kids' attention. Um, of course, great story, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Lord of the Rings, we've done it. Uh, it's a little older, I would say, than Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia could be pretty young, I mm -hmm. think, and still enjoy it. But man, I'm telling you that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book—that's good stuff. Is that one that you finish in a night? No, it takes a while. It yeah. takes a while. Oh, it's like I a, just love that idea of like mm -hmm. the the family sitting around the living room or whatever and eat it and eating or not maybe not eating but reading a story you know well not to be that guy in the room too but 
the Gospels. Mm. You just became. You could be that guy in the room. If, if you want to surprise yourself as a family, like just read the Gospel as a story, and then talk about it. It's it's a good story. It's a great story. <laughs> it's, it's the story for real. <laughs> it's actually interesting that you mentioned that, Adam, because uh, that's one of the things that I've been praying about going back to. Is like my first love of Christ was the Gospels. It, you know, it was literally for me. I was introduced to the person of Jesus by reading the Gospels, like the story of God, and and that was it really transformed me in a lot of ways. Like I was introduced to the person of Jesus by reading the story of the gospel and being like, if this, if this guy is real, this is unbelievable. This guy is fascinating. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. And, you know, many years later, you know, I'm like, I want, I just want to go back and read the gospels. Like I did as a 16 year old kid, you know, and and be enthralled by the story, you know? So you read Narnia or you even watch the movies, you're just enthralled by the story of it, mm. right? And you're kind of raptured in it of like, man, just the analogies and the and the, the story and well the gospels are the same way. And I mean Narnia is really built off the gospels, but you go to you really read the gospel and you you walk with Jesus through it. It it becomes a tangible again. And, and I think oftentimes we get away from that. And we're talking about relationship being the most important thing. And that's what grows virtue in our life. So, you know, that that's the challenge for us. You know, we're not going to get to six questions today. No. <laughs> but that's a good thing. Well, and what your kids will do if you read the gospels, especially if they're younger, they're going to naturally act it out like the next day. It's like you're going to read a story, talk about it. You're going to catch them playing the gospel, and you just encourage that. And that is a great way for them to remember the gospel because they're not going to remember what you read to them as much as what they act out themselves. Because to act anything out, you have to really know what you're doing, right? It's like you go through the whole scene, you get the characters ready, you get your costumes. They're going to remember that gospel a lot better. And it's something they want to do anyway. They want to play. So give them something to play with. Um, All right, question three through six. (laughs) And that's it. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who do you say that I am? Real quick, what translation do you use for the for the Bible, like for the Gospels? Well, on purpose, I use the New American because it's so close to the lectionary mm, at yeah. Mass, so that they make that connection. Okay, I, yeah, it's not I, the best translation, right? But it's it's the one they're going to hear the most. Yeah, that's a good one. The NAB is yeah, it's a good readable for both like you know adults and kids and. You know, for me, like, I'll take translations and, and I'll do other translations of words, you know, to study it mm-hmm. more when I'm studying the Gospels. Um, but, you know, you can you can do that. So anyway, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks to Adam and Chad for being a part of the show. Uh, share the show. Uh, be a part of it. Thanks to all our sponsors and listeners. Uh, you guys are great. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. God bless.